In this episode of the Church Security Roll Call, we're going to be discussing the 2007 Moscow First Presbyterian Church shooting. Stay tuned. Hi, this is Chris with Sheepdog Church Security, and this is your Church Security Roll Call. Today we're going to be discussing the article, The 2007 Moscow First Presbyterian Church Shooting. If you'd like to read that article, go to our website, sheepdogchurchsecurity.net, and look under the News tab. So let's begin in the Bible as we always do. This verse is Ezekiel 3, verse 17, and it reads like this. Son of man, I have made thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. So this shooting that we're going to be talking about today occurred in Moscow, Idaho. And it occurred during off hours. And so the only person that was on the property was actually a caretaker. And so this creates a different dynamic for us. You know, a lot of times when we talk about active shooters, you know, we're thinking, you know, church is in session. People are there. And so we want to take action to neutralize that person, that killer, as soon as possible. This one's different. Nobody was there except the caretaker. And so it takes a different kind of solutions to solve this kind of problem. So that's what we're going to be discussing. Um, before I continue, we still have our active, duder, active shooter checklist. If you want to get a copy of that, like I said, I have told you before, it's basically a checklist for your child care workers and anyone working in an office that if there is an active killer situation, um, they have a little reminder that they can go through to make sure that they did everything they're supposed to do. So make sure you get a copy of that while you still can. So as many of you know, mental illness is one of the two main leading causes for these active shooter type events, especially at houses of worship. And so in this case, mental health really was a big factor in this. So the killer, about a year and a half before the, this, this event occurred, was convicted of a felony of strangulation. And he was put, he was evaluated and found to have mental illness. His sentence was 90 days followed by probation conditioned on psychiatric care. So that included medication and counseling. Um, a week before the shooting incident, he was summoned to court because he had stopped going to counseling. Um, a search of his home after the shooting confirmed that he had stopped taking his medication as well. So the summons was triggered um, part not only because he failed to go uh, to counseling, but he actually ended up in the hospital for a parent suicide attempt. Um, however, <clears throat> as they evaluated him at the, <clears throat> sorry about that, as they evaluated him at the hospital, which is a rapid evaluation, he told the doctor that he wasn't suicidal, but if he was suicidal, he was going to take people with him. And so, um, you know, it's easy to, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, but somebody says they're going to, potentially take commit suicide and take people with them. We need to take these threats very seriously. Um, when I was younger, when there were threats of suicide, I think a lot of times we tended to kind of disregard them at some level, like it was just a threat. Um, but I think as time gone on, we've learned that we have to take these kind of things very seriously. If somebody says they're going to hurt themselves, if somebody says they're going to hurt somebody else, 
we really have to perk up and be paying attention. But anyway, moving forward on this. So um, his wife um, worked for the, and I'm going to say this county wrong, the Lata County Courthouse, which was across the street, kind of across the street and down the street a little bit from the church. So on Saturday, May 19th, um, he, the killer met with another co-worker at a downtown bar for some drinks and went home. That evening, he went in, shot, and killed his wife. He then um, went down to the church where he had been a custodian at times. Um, he broke into the back door, went through the building, broke out the front door, and then set up basically an ambush site where he had clear line of sight to the courthouse. He then fired into the dispatch room where they abandoned, got out of there, and you know let the police know. The first two cops that arrived um, stopped about uh, about less than a block. Well, they say three quarters of a block from the courthouse. Well, it was still within his reach because he had the two weapons he had. He had a Springfield M1A and an AK-47. And so what he did is he engaged the police officers. He killed one and he injured the other one as that police officer was trying to rescue his buddy. Then the sheriff's department shows up. Some deputies show up and they take up a position and they're able, because of when they got there and what they're seeing, they saw that, you know, he was in the, basically at the front of the church. So let me get back into the details here. Um, let's see. Then, he then goes into the building. He breaks out. Um, he breaks out. Oh, I'm sorry. City police and sheriff responded. The shooter apparently expected, you know, set up the ambush. We kind of already covered that. Um First police car stops, get one killed, one gets pulled out. The rounds went right through the body armor, which we would expect with that kind of weaponry. When the deputies arrived and saw the gunfire coming from the church property, they managed to take away the two fallen police officers, but a, de a deputy was severely wounded. So right now you got two of the three guys injured um, trying to save each other, which is good. Another person was severely wounded. Um, was from the University of Idaho. It was a student who lived six blocks away, heard the gunfire, picked up his 45 revolver, and headed for the courthouse to confront the shooter. And of course, he was injured. So, and they just say injured. They don't say that he was killed. Um, so, I just want to pause there for a second. Um, I would, you know, in civilian clothes, with your 45 revolver, probably not a good idea to run towards an active shooter event, especially if police are already on scene because they're just looking for a person that's shooting wildly at other people. And so to show up in civilian clothes carrying a gun is probably a very good way of not only getting hurt by the killer, but also getting shot by the police. Um, but anyway, I, I'm sure he was trying to be a hero. Uh, didn't work out for him. Uh, deputies using moving vehicles for cover charged the shooter's position. He retreated into the church, closing the door behind him. 
Meanwhile, the caretaker was awakened by the sounds of the shooting and he went to an office and called 911. The shooter saw him in the office as um, he was on the phone and shot him through the open door, killing him. So he wasn't even in lockdown. Um, the killer then went into the sanctuary, sat in a pew with a rifle between his knees and managed to shoot himself in the head not long after um, 1 a.m. The county SWAT team entered the church at about 6.30, so five and a half hours later, found the bodies of the gunmen and the caretaker. Later that day, armed with the search warrant, deputies went to his house where they found the body of his wife. Also found were the unused medication. And so after the shooting, um, this, so this is a Saturday night, so Sunday morning then, the First Presbyterian Church of Moscow, Idaho, including, um, this, um, including the sanctuary, was a crime scene. Church members met instead in a building at the University of Idaho campus. Um, in 2017, on the 10th anniversary of the shooting, they had a memorial service that held, uh, you know, held in the sanctuary, and the speakers included the wounded deputy and the wounded police officer who survived. Um, Sergeant Lee Newbill was the first member of the Moscow Police Department to be killed in the line of duty, and they made a memorial for him. Um, other than that, as far as any sort of security stuff that they put on, um, the Presbyterian Church is certainly awakened to the need for safety and security. You know, this is back in 2007. Um, and so they, they've started to do things. However, in this in particular case, they keep a lot of this stuff, you know, under wraps. It's not public information of what they're doing. And so, and that makes sense, right? Be, I, after an incident like this, why would you want, or especially after an incident like this, why would you want anyone to know what your security is planning? You know, what do you have? How are you prepared? You know, a lot of times we... You know, that's private information. We've discussed this in the past. You know, there's you do a lot of training and you're training staff and volunteers and you're informing the congregation of what they need to know for different kinds of emergencies. Um, and that information needs to be freely shared and given because people need to know, right? Um, but then on the other hand, probably some of the things that your safety team is doing or planning on doing, um, that doesn't need to be public information. Um, I think about a lot of times we share stories on Facebook and some people go on there and, and they'll basically tell us their entire plan or way too much information, you know, of, you know, we got six guys and, you know, we cover the doors and we're in the sanctuary and it's like, whoa, you know, I, you know, I'd like to, I, I'm glad you feel safe talking with me, but talk to me offline. Don't, don't share it on Facebook, but that's probably another discussion for another day. So there's two things I want to talk about as far as lessons learned from this shooting. Um, the first one, one of them is like essential. Like it, it could have potentially stopped all this from occurring. Um, the second one is just something for you to think about that's going to mitigate, could have mitigated this to some extent, maybe, maybe not. So the first thing that could have made all the difference in this situation is an alarm system at the church with surveillance cameras. So if you think about what he did, he broke in through the back door. Based on the information we have, I mean, it just says that he broke in. So I, I'm imagining damage. I'm imagining that, you know, a broken window or something to that effect. However, a good alarm system 
that's going to monitor windows, is going to monitor doors, would be triggered by this action. And with that alarm going off, before the shooting even started, right? So he's just breaking into the back. He's still planning on going all the way through the church, exiting out the other side, setting up a little sniper's nest, an ambush point, so he can attack the courthouse and attack any police that show up. That alarm would have gone off. So the first thing that would have, dispatch would have gotten was a call from the alarm company saying, hey, the alarm's going off at the, at the church. And of course, they would have been calling, you know, dispatching police officers to that location. Now, a lot of this is just speculation, but I'm just saying generally things how, how things would occur. If the shooting then occurred, hey, we're under fire at the dispatch center. Well, now police say, okay, we have shooting at the courthouse and we have an alarm at the church. And so they might have been able to anticipate where the bad guy may have started. Not guaranteed. Because um, a lot's going on, and as soon as you hear shots fired at the at the dispatch at dispatch center on the dispatch center at the courthouse, you know your brain's going that way. But anyway, this is where then the second part comes in, and that's cameras. There's generally you're generally going to have about two. I, I, I say two types of cameras. That's the actual proper, but it's kind of three part three types of camera. Um, the first camera cameras that you might put are exterior cameras. They're monitoring your parking lot. They're monitoring your property. Now, they tend to, these cameras are usually used to cover wide areas. So they're not identification cameras. They're just activity cameras. It allows you to see what's generally going on out there. And so cameras on the outside of the building, maybe one of them would have been pointed towards the front of the church where he made his little sniper nest. So the alarm goes off. Let's say you're the safety guy. You get your little notification or you get your call from the alarm company. Hey, the alarm's gone off. Now you go look at your cameras, which a lot of them now you can access with your phone or a computer off-site. It's internet. It's, you know, it's all um, you know, web-based. And now you can look and say, hey, there's a guy with a rifle or two rifles sitting in front of the church. Then they also have activity cameras on the inside of the church, right? So these are your hallways. These are, you know, your large areas where people congregate, a lobby, that kind of stuff. And, of course, they have memory. So, once again, the alarm goes off. Somebody could have looked at that and said, hey, you know, there's a guy walking down the hallway through the lobby or whatnot with rifles. And then the third camera, and I'll just hit it, is the, these are your identity cameras. You see these all the time when you go into a grocery store and they have a, a monitor there and it, it shows your face as you're walking in. Um, those are so they can identify people. Um, and so my point ultimately is this. This situation could have gone differently if the church would have had an alarm system and cameras. Now, a lot of you out there, when you're thinking about your own facility, and you're thinking about maybe the cost associated with alarms and cameras, I want to just encourage you to look into it. Now, I'm not necessarily going to tell you to make contact with some professional, well-established um, alarm company out there because a lot of them are still operating on the assumptions of um, high cost. You know, so back in the day, um, people rented their phones from AT&T, you know, and you would pay a fee for this phone. And of course, they were not quick to tell people that you can just go buy a phone 
and it'll be a phone that you want and use, but they weren't really eager to tell people that. And I feel that's kind of the truth for some alarm companies out there is they're still kind of gouging people. And you can buy a very good system, a very cheap system, and install it yourself, and it have all kinds of functionality. Now, I'm not necessarily telling you to buy this, but so I bought a ring system for my home, and they have an alarm system, and I monitor, you know, I put it on all the windows and the doors, and then I also bought some of their cameras. I got some exterior cameras, and I got some interior cameras, and I pay $10 a month for this monitoring. Meanwhile, my mom, who's quite a bit older than me, and her husband pay $100 a month for ADT. I pay 10, they pay 100. I have cameras, they don't have any cameras. So shop around, do your research, look at this kind of stuff. You're gonna find you're going to find solutions. Even if you bought Ring for the church, let's say it's a smaller building, maybe that's a, a workable solution. I don't know. You have to look into that. Even if you bought some of these cheap cameras or less expensive cameras at Radio Shack or Home Depot or whatever you got, you can buy these things and you just hook them up to your phone. And if it's nothing else, you can just look inside the church anytime you want. You know, so I, there's options out there. Do your homework, look around. Um, you're going to find some good deals out there and you just have to figure out what's right. We're all in different stuff. You know, maybe if you're in a giant, huge church, maybe you pay the money to get somebody to come in and install the whole ball of wax and um, monitor it. And maybe that makes sense for you. Um, other than that, I just want to talk about... Um, so the secondary, that would have potentially stopped it. Something, though, that we all should think about because it can keep out um, the lower-level riffraff, if you will. And that's just good doors and good locks. Um, I think a lot of us, especially smaller churches, we really struggle with access control when it comes to our buildings. You know, maybe they're still keyed locks, and we've handed out keys after key after key after key. Uh, people have left the church, didn't return their key, and it's we've just been operating like that for a long period of time. It might be time to review that and really determine, hey, what's going to be the best possible access control system that we can have? Now, there's expensive ones that have fobs and, and key cards and all that kind of stuff. Some of them are a little simpler where it's, you know, it's just a keypad where you punch in a code. Um, what's kind of superior about something like that is you can change the code and you've locked out everybody who has the old code, right? So you can, so there's some less expensive options. Um, just, you know, once again, do your homework and look for a way of just kind of locking that down. You know, getting those, changing locks if you need to change locks, um, getting locks rekeyed if you need, you know, them to be rekeyed and, um, you know, kind of start fresh. If you're able to do that, start fresh with the new, new key co code, new system, and access control. The other thing is this: is um, locks are only as good as the doors, and so um, keep that in mind as well. If you have a bunch of old doors and they don't close right, you know I think back in the day before they had a certain kind of striker plate cover, 
there were so many doors you could open with a credit card, you know, as the Hollywood would have you do it. But butter mutton knives worked even better. And so, you know, look at these doors. Make sure that they're strong. You know, are the hinges in place? Is it is it a wood frame or is it a metal frame? You know, and if you got screws going in, are they really just short to get through into the frame a little bit? Or are they longer where they're going into a stud? You know, same thing are with the locks where the door closes, the threshold there. You know, is there something covering that little mechanism so people can address the mechanism there? You know, what's the space in there? Is it nice and tight? And so the door still opens and closes freely, but there's not a whole lot of working room in there to get tools. You know, look at these kind of things. You know, we've talked about glazing before on windows and things to that effect. I guess ultimately the second bit is really just something we've talked about so many other times. And it's like, just walk around your church sometime and think like a criminal and say, how am I going to break into this church? How would I do it? And if your doors and locks are weak and you know they're weak and that you can just kick them in or whatever, then address that. You know, fix those kind of things. So that's basically it. Surveillance cameras and an alarm may have been able to stop this event or at least get some really good information to law enforcement sooner than later. Um, and then the final thing is, is we should we need to harden our targets. We need to harden our buildings a little bit from the easy ways of breaking in. Now it could have been just glass in this this killing situation. You know, maybe you just picked up a brick and threw it through the window and walked in through the through the opening. That's a potential. We can't stop everything. I mean, we're not building castles here. Um, we're building churches, houses of God, and we just want to make sure that we do the best we can with what we have and uh you know and we'll be good from there other than that you know hey thank you so much for um for attending today i do want to kind of put a shout out to everyone that's joined me in this last enrollment period we have lots a lot of you enrolled into our online training events and your own access and all this uh, you know you know what you got but thank you so much for doing that this is gonna, the false schedule is already started and I'm having a great time and um, I hope that the people there seem to be learning a lot and giving good reports. So thanks for being there. Other than that, thank you so much for joining us and hey, let's be careful out there. This program is made for informational purposes only and should not be taken as legal advice.